0: You're listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership and peak performance through interviews with some of the greatest team captains and thought leaders in the sports world. Now, here is your host, performance coach, speaker, and author, Ben Smith. Welcome back to another episode of the Captain's Coach. My name is Ben Smith. And I'm excited to talk to you all today about deception, in particular how deception can be implemented uh, by you as a coach uh, in your sports teams and in your sports strategy. We just finished up, though, a great series where we had seven episodes on sports philosophy, so if you had not had a chance yet to uh, listen to that, Luke did a great job. We had some of the foremost experts in the space within uh, the sports philosophy discipline and had some great takeaways there. And um, for those of you who have not heard us talk about this yet, uh, I just I think it's critical if it's not a part of your process for you to uh, get that and start that as soon as possible. Uh, Edgar Sheen, who was um, a famous psychologist, and he put together what is known as um, Sheen's three elements of culture. And those are that our beliefs, which are at the bottom or underlying assumptions, drives our values, which drives our observable artifacts. Um, So essentially, our culture is driven by the things that we believe and the stories that we tell ourselves and what we assume to be true about the world. So it's critical that you gain clarity on what those ideas are, uh, because they are, uh, whether that is conscious or unconscious, they are certainly driving... Um, the values that you have, which drives the results that you get within your teams, um, which is driven you know, by, uh, in between there, your, the processes, the language that you use, the things that you build, and the behaviors that you enact. So it is the cornerstone, and if you haven't had a chance, again, go back and take a listen to that. Uh, but for today, I am excited to talk to you about deception. It is something that I have been uh, researching over the last at least a year formally, more specifically in the last couple of months getting a little bit more involved uh, as I continue to write and finish up the sports sci book that I've been writing. And I wanted to take the opportunity today to kind of start talking out loud on some of those uh, principles uh, and ideas that I think are going to be really useful for coaches as you try to figure out how to make this a more... um, a, a more distinct aspect of your process as a coach. Um, and in particular, you know, this series is going to be uh, four episodes as I see it today. Today we'll be doing an introduction um, and also talking a little bit about the why behind deception. Uh, episode two will be about the what. Episode three will be about the models of deception. And episode four will be how do we really apply all of those things um, that we know to be true about deception and those models and frameworks. And how again, how do we, we apply that as a sports coach? Um, so again, very excited to dive into this with you. And uh, it would be difficult for us to talk about deception and not first bring up Sun Tzu. So I figured I'd start with one of his quotes that might set the scene here. All warfare is based on deception, and that's a bold claim and one that I would agree with. And Sports is very similar to warfare, and so if this is not a part of your decision-making process, you are in the right place to learn how to make it so. Now, how I'd like to start this as we, again, this episode is really focused around the why behind deception and a little bit of the what, but definitely going into more specifics next episodes. Um, on that aspect of deception, but want to just provide a a general ideas to the nature of what deception is or why you should really consider this as, uh, again, a part of your strategic process. Um, And I'd love to tell a story to orient ourselves about General Beauregard, who was one of the generals for uh, the South in the Civil War. And at one moment uh, during this war, he found himself surrounded by Union forces at the city of Corinth. And so he had a major deficit. He was facing you know, a two to one ratio in terms of troops. He had very little supplies left. Uh, General Halleck, was, who was one of the Union generals that he was facing, was overly cautious and didn't have quite all the information that he needed to you know, continue to pursue and attack and defeat uh, General Beauregard. But it was only a matter of time before that information. Came to him, and so one night, um, General Beauregard, uh, you know, as he was in this dire state, brought in all of his leadership and tried to figure out what he could do and what they could do to get themselves out of the situation. And you know, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation, but um, you know, there's a limited number of things that he could do. He could try to make a last stand and just commit to a force-on-force approach, or he could surrender, um, or he could think differently and be innovative, and that's what they decided to do. They tried to figure out what type of ruse they could put together to deceive their enemy um, so that they could find a way to retreat. To provide some more background, uh, the city of Corinth was critical strategic position because it had and provided access to multiple railroads. Rahul Road lines uh, connecting all of the South. And so, although they were going to lose that position, uh, ultimately, just because of the deficit that they that they faced, um, if they were to lose all of their soldiers and the limited supplies that they had left, it would mark the end, absolutely, uh, the beginning of the end for the South. It would be a, a major blow. And so, General Beauregard, ultimately the next day after they had made a decision, uh, talked to his men and told them they had three days left worth of rations uh, and that they should prepare to attack. And just as he expected, there were a couple of soldiers within his ranks that um, were traitors and actually went to the Union with that news. Uh, and so this actually put the Union in a defensive posture. And then on the, the night of May 29th that year, Uh, trains began to appear at Corinth, which is something that General Beauregard had set up. But when the trains arrived at the city of Corinth, all of their men cheered as loud as they could. And so what this made the Union believe is that the Confederates had reinforcements coming in. But in reality, the train was completely empty. It was actually used to move supplies and men back Uh, to a a fall-on position. And so um, throughout this time, the Confederates continued to keep their fires burning and putting fake Quaker guns stationed around. Uh, They kept their buglers and drummers playing. Uh, And so a really interesting uh, story I thought about how thinking differently uh, really provided a competitive advantage to get, you know, their team essentially out of a out of a uh, deathly situation. Uh, and ultimately what this was was General Beauregard depicted a false reality for his enemy in an attempt to influence their decision making process from leadership that would lead to their own personal and tactical gain. And ultimately that is what deception is. It is any attempt by words or actions, intended to distort another person or a group's perception of reality. Uh, And as was hinted by Sun Tzu earlier on, the art of war is built around your ability to leverage deception for your own advantage uh, in battle. And we see this, you know, throughout history. This is definitely not something new. uh, From the Trojan horse to the Ghost Army in World War II and then moving to sports, such as the 2007 Boise State hook and ladder, or the classic, you know, baseball's hidden hidden ball trick. Uh, these are all brilliant deceptions that were planned and also executed to improve the odds of of their team's success by actually making it easier to execute their plan. And so. Um, Again, to kind of move into uh, and move through this introduction, ultimately, um, it's really useful for us, and if we haven't talked about this in previous episodes, uh, we'll be doing this next, on the next one when we talk about the what of deception, but um, mental models are, are a critical way for us to begin to think about uh, thinking more effectively. And these models are very simplified principles that we know to be true about the world. And so there are three in particular that, that we're going to talk about in this series that are related to deception that can kind of organize our thoughts and give us a framework so that we can make better, uh, better, better decisions about deception and how to make it, uh, you know, again, a, more of a part of our, our, our formal process within the strategic uh, approaches that we take. And the first one is, is what I'm calling a deception algorithm, which I'm excited to talk through uh, again on a later episode. The second one is, actually the next two are by, by Barton Whaley. The, the second one is the simulation matrix. And the third is what is known as ambiguity A and ambiguity M. And so we'll be using all three of those to break down deception, uh, make it easier for us to understand again how to use that. And then from a, from a sports perspective, I really think there are three primary categories in which we can apply um, these models to helping us, again, enact and plan for deception. The first one is what I'm calling individual movements. Uh, the second is individual plays. And the third is systems and playbooks. So I started with the why of deception for this episode because I wanted us to all orient ourselves around the purpose behind uh, deception and make sure that we were aligned here. And I think that the main benefit by implementing a more formal framework for deception within your sports strategy is the competitive advantage that it offers. And in my last book titled Captain's Playbook, technically my first one, uh, I s- spoke to uh, this concept a little bit more in-depthly, and what I kind of categorized or organized competitive advantages around were, were that there were three particular ways we can enact um, competitive advantages, essentially that we can, we can do so by time and effort. And so we can over time create competitive advantages by just doing things uh, like harder or by putting more more time into the, um, the work that we're, we're doing. So for example, if, um, if one individual works out at 70% three times a week, if you were to work out at 100% six days a week over time, that would provide you a competitive advantage if you were doing it well. The second category I have is efficiency. So for that same example, if you could uh, kind of get more out of your time by being more productive, uh, that is another form of competitive advantage uh, that, again, is very intentional. And the third is categorized as innovation. And so the third way is about thinking differently about our approach. Um and deception really kind of falls into this category, I think, of innovation and thinking differently about how we do things, how we plan things, how we strategize. Because ultimately, in many cases, uh, great deceptions are around things that, um, peop- that, that is around the unexpected. Um, and so, again, this is really about developing a more systematic competitive advantage within your program. And ultimately, and this is, I think, key, is that effective deception improves and or I should maybe even say increases your freedom of execution, providing a distinct advantage to win. And so the false reality presented by the deceiver distracts the opponent's attention, which ensures that he consumes the wrong information, ultimately leading to a false conclusion. And once that conclusion is reached, the target uh, or your opponent, they act on that. And since they were baited into a false reality, it becomes easier for you to execute the intent that you initially had. And so to put this in perspective for a coach or a, or an athlete, uh, if we were playing football and we wanted to deceive the cornerback, that it was a running play instead of a passing play. The cornerback will bite, which would leave the wide receiver open for a pass. If we were to do like a, a, a again a, a play action pass, uh, or a play action call there, where we fake it to the running back, and once we fake it to the running back, the cornerback comes in and bites on that, leaving the receiver more open to execute, um, and it just as it simplifies the execution requirements needed to, uh, to perform that skill. And so um, in many ways, deception is about decreasing or eliminating elements of our opponent in the execution equation is what I'm calling it. So that we, again, simplify the task uh, required to meet our end state. And so one way to think about this is in terms of like a heuristic model or an equation, I call it the execution equation and essentially uh, within the moment our outcomes within sports are really defined by the athlete's performance minus the opponent's performance and if there's a positive outcome there then the athlete has been able to win and the margin of that you know victory or success of the execution of that skill um, is based off of you know that number that that positive number that's there but if it's negative then we would say that the opponent wins would win essentially. But the concept of performance there is what I would say is broken up into three distinct categories. And again, I talked about this in our last book, and that is that all performance in the moment it really comes down to the talent of the individual, their skill set, and their discipline. Their talent, their skill, and their discipline. Now, again, this is more specific to like in the moment performance. And so there's also the CPR model that we've talked about that I really like this from Brett Ledbetter that states that our character drives the process, which drives the results. So who we are over time gets us to enact particular behaviors that gets us to uh, achieve some particular result. And I see that being true over time. So it has this like compounding effect, but ultimately in the moment, it's really about what you are able to do, how you can perform. And I think that the talent and skill and discipline is a better framework for thinking about that. Um, and again, seems seems to me to be more true uh, in that. So when we think about deception, I think it's really useful for us to consider that deception will actually within this equation fall under the skill. Now, the reason for that and why it's the primary component, I think, when it comes to deception is that skill includes a number of things. Um, and, and let me apologize. I want to go back and define each one of these. So talent are the, the natural characteristics that we have. So maybe it's IQ or it's height. Um, maybe it's muscle fibers, but these are things that are more nature-like. Skill is more nurture where these are the things that we have learned based off of our efforts um, and yeah, basically the efforts that we've put together to develop a you know, particular skill set. And then thirdly is discipline and I see that as being a critical function, especially psychologically is having uh, you know, discipline uh, on the mental side and emotional side, which I definitely think plays a role in how we perform um, is a good way to look at this. So. I apologize, but going back, uh, deception. I have uh, kind of put this component into skill set because skill set part of that part of that skill and what we know to be true that really distinguishes experts from novices is um, experts have been found to be really good at things like pers- they have like perceptual cognitive expertise and they have a higher level of successful anticipatory decision-making. So essentially they're able to read, read the situation, read the bodily cues that um, are are given off by their opponent. That is essentially information within the environment. They're able to take that more quickly and turn that into uh, evidence for them to kind of uh, make their own decision about how they should either act or react. Um, and so that kind of leads us to one other really good framework, which is by Train Ugly. And Train Ugly has this framework that they pull together, which I think is phenomenal. It's known as the read, plan, and then do. And so a lot of us as coaches just focus on the do part. We focus just on the actual movement pattern of the skill that we need to complete so a lot of times if it was baseball um, it's just uh, get having a, mach- a machine pitched and working on just the movement pattern of, of a correct swing or hitting off a tee to work through particular aspects again of the swing but and those are great and those can be useful but it's if that were to be all that you were doing you're Missing the some what I would argue are the most critical components of the entire aspect of 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 skill in a sense is this ability to read the situation, plan what you're going to do, and then conduct that action. There's a whole two steps that happen before the movement and the decision that you make, and so this read plan do mechanism really fits well with this concept of deception because being able to read the environment and, and not just read it well but then be able to decipher what is true and what is false based off of the, the very limited amount of information that you're able to pull from your opponents um, are, is critical so that when you get to the do phase that you are enacting a behavior, making a decision That is accurate of reality so that you can be in the best position that you can be to execute what it is that you hope to execute. So we're going to stop there for today. Again, in conclusion, the why of deception is really about providing a competitive advantage. And from a strategic perspective, you as the coach trying to put your team in the best position to be successful and the way that that works is by trying to decrease or I should say increase uh, the, the freedom of execution that they have to be able to uh, execute the skills that they know how to uh, execute and take the opponents, put them in a, in, in a disadvantageous position by creating a, a false reality. So um, again, this was just an introduction. I'm really excited to talk about this more in our next episode where we, we dive into the, the, the components and the what that is deception. Uh, in particular, I think we're going to talk more about how the military uses deception and, and how the military itself even got most of, uh, of some of its best frameworks and ideas about how deception works from uh, magicians. So very interesting I'm excited to kind of work through this out loud with with you as the audience. Um, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or thoughts about um, this topic in general and would love to hear back from you all. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Ben Smith. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes And check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.